0: Well, it is great to see you here. Thank you for being here on First Wednesday. Um, we believe that First Wednesdays are just some of the greatest times for us because we get to kind of lean in to the Lord. We get to study His Word and learn from His Word and allow Him to speak to us. And uh, we allow just the Lord to just kind of move and have His way on these services. We just love that. Uh, there's not um, like a Sunday morning, we have multiple services. so. You're always in a little bit of a time crunch on a Sunday morning, but not on Wednesday night. We're just here and thankful for the Lord and His presence. And uh, tonight we have a very special treat and that is one of my good friends, uh, Pastor Travis Hall is with us. Uh, Travis and Tina are from Michigan. They pastored there for a number of years, great church up there. And then God called them just a few years ago to Duluth and they pastor at uh, Life International Church. Um, Pastor Travis is just a fantastic speaker. He is a great writer. Um, he's an author. He's also a great, great um, interviewer and podcast. I don't know if you, if if you don't, if you do podcast, I'm just telling you, you need to look up Travis Hall, Transformational Truths. I get it's updated regularly on mine. It's just push notifications come to me because he's got such great content on the Bible, and on leadership, and on Christian leadership, and uh, uh, if you look for something that can build you up, that can really build you up, and I'm so excited for him to not only speak into your life, but to speak into my life as well. So would you join me and give a great Mount Perry North welcome to Pastor Travis Hall as he comes.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. Give it up for your pastor tonight, please, Amen. You know, I know you don't need me to tell you this, but you've got one of the best pastors in the state of Georgia. He and his wife are just amazing <laughs> leaders and incredibly respected in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God, and it's really a blessing and an honor to be back with you. I genuinely uh, love your pastor and think super, super highly of him, um, and love the team here. Every time I'm here, I'm blessed by the team. I think the team here reflects the heart of their pastor. There's incredible leadership. There's incredible authenticity and humility and all of those things I think are attractive in the kingdom of God, amen? And so we're thankful. Well listen, it's good to be back at Mount Perrin North. Last time I was here I was sharing my book, Seven Deadly Thoughts and uh, that was fun. And I think last time I was here my wife came with me and Tina was um, pregnant. She was at that time pregnant with, uh, we had five expecting number six. And uh, that's why she's not here tonight because number six arrived. And, yep, she's doing great. Baby's doing great. In fact, we might have a... Do we have a picture uh, to share? There she is. So there's baby. (laughs) She's so sweet. Doggone it. There's baby. That's Olivia Mercy. Uh, She was born to six pounds, five ounces. She's great. And mom's doing good. And uh, six is a full quiver at my house. So we're done having babies. Amen. We've done our part. And, um... But we feel blessed. Thank you for sharing that and wanted to share that moment with you. But Tina sends her love. She was trying so hard to figure out how to get here tonight. She also enjoys uh, being here. She loved being here last time. This is such an amazing place. So thank you, Pastor, for inviting me to come back and share tonight. I'm gonna invite you tonight to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. I want you to open them to John chapter four, if you would. Um, I'm going to read another passage briefly, but our main text tonight is going to be from John chapter 4, and I want to come by and just build your faith a little bit tonight. John's gospel is easily my favorite of the gospels. Now, they're they're all the word of God. They're all inspired by the Spirit, but I just love John's gospel. There's something about the rhythm and the cadence of John's gospel. There's something about the intentionality of John's gospel. Uh, that absolutely uh, blesses me. I remember in, in graduate school learning about the different theories of who wrote John's gospel. It's actually a, considered uh, uh, an anonymous gospel. Uh, we're, we're not sure if John wrote it. Uh, the, the, super, the, the superscript, the, the gospel according to John, was added about 300 years after it was actually written. We're not sure who wrote it. Some actually theorize that Lazarus wrote John's gospel because it's the only time that miracle shows up. And some say it was a community of believers, and some think it was John. I guess it's neither here nor there because we all know the author. Can I get an amen? Yeah, we're not sure who penned it, but we know who authored it. And earlier, or later, rather, in John's gospel, something interesting is said. Something is recorded that helps us understand everything else that had been written. And I'm gonna read it to you tonight, and then we're gonna look at John chapter four together. It says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so the author says, I intentionally recorded seven miracles, though Jesus did a whole bunch of other miracles that that I didn't record, but but we recorded these seven specifically. We wanted to share Jesus' story because these seven miracles prove something about Jesus' identity, authenticity, and authority. And one of those miracles, the second in the order of miracles is found in John chapter four. Look there with me. It says, so Jesus came again to Canaan of Galilee where he had made the water wine. There was a certain nobleman there whose son was sick at Capernaum, and when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And then Jesus said to him, unless you people see a sign, you will by no means believe. Oh, but I love this father's response. He said, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. And so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, your son lives. Then the father inquired of the hour when he got better, and they said to him, well, it was actually yesterday at the seventh hour that the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he believed in his whole household. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your grace tonight. Thank you for your spirit tonight. Thank you for building up our faith tonight. Thank you for topping off the the faith tanks in our hearts tonight. I pray that in Jesus' name, whatever we're believing you for, faith will rise up, and we will keep running the race, believing that when you said it was done, It was done. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said amen. So the scripture leaves the name of the father out intentionally. It it doesn't mention his name. In fact, it only mentions his status. It says that he was a nobleman, which by definition means basically that he was either working in the king's court or he was a member of the royal family. So he's referred to as a nobleman. And so, as a nobleman, he would have attained a certain level of wealth. He would have had a certain level of influence in the kingdom. Uh, he was a pretty well known guy. He would have had national celebrity. He would have been one of the guys today that, when you're checking out uh, in the checkout line at Publix, you look up at the tabloids, his name would have been there often. Well known, well respected, well revered. He had titles, he had influence, he had power. As a matter of fact, He's the kind of a guy you would have wanted to know because he was the kind of guy that could get stuff done. He was the kind of a guy that could pull strings and get you favors. He was the kind of a guy that could open doors and make things happen. In fact, he had probably never one time met a problem that his money or influence couldn't fix. But when we come upon this nobleman, he's in a much different situation. Perhaps for the first time in his life, he finds himself in a situation that neither his title nor his wealth could fix. His son was sick. No matter how many doctors he hired, they couldn't help. And suddenly he found himself at a point of desperation. Now you have to understand, it's easy to read the text and not completely appreciate everything that this nobleman had to go through to get to Jesus. Number one, for somebody of his pedigree, somebody of his upbringing, somebody that was so well-known and so powerful, to seek out a man that was the son of a carpenter, to seek out a man who was from a poor village in Nazareth of which they said nothing nothing good, nothing worthwhile comes out of Nazareth, to seek out a man who he didn't even know for sure could even do what he had heard he could do through the rumors was quite a wide chasm for him to cross. To go from the place of saying, I can fix it, to the place of saying, where's this Jesus at, was quite a journey for this this father to make. Because for the first time in his life, the man who had everything didn't have enough. And it raises a pretty good question, doesn't it? What do you do when you've got everything and it's still not enough? I said, I asked that same question at my church recently in my congregation. I asked that question, what do you do when you've got everything and it's still not enough? And a woman in the front row on my left said, Pastor, I have no idea because I've never had everything. I think we can suffice to say that most of us would agree we get that, but we also understand that sometimes you can have everything you think you need, but it still doesn't feel like enough. Now, the distance between Cana and Capernaum is important. It was 16 and a half miles, which meant this was an over 30-mile uh, round trip on, on horseback. The scripture indicates he must have left in the evening because it says he had to spend the night. And early the next morning, he got up and started to head back home. This is quite a journey for this father to make. But it put him in a gut-wrenching situation, didn't it? I mean, he was faced with that dilemma. He was faced with, do I leave my son by himself to go find a man I've never met, whom people say can do things I've never heard to be done? Do I leave his side to find this guy, or do I stay here hopeless, just wishing things got better? But can I tell you, in 19 years of ministry, something I've discovered, I've discovered that adversity has a way of motivating me to make humble decisions. It is amazing how adversity will bring us to this place of making humble decisions, decisions we might not have made 10 years ago or five years ago. And it's oftentimes I've discovered in the, everyone say, in-between place, It's oftentimes in this in-between place. It's the distance between where you are versus where you need to be that doubt sets up camp in your life. The seasons of my life that I've doubted the most was somewhere between where I was and where I needed to be. How many know what I'm talking about tonight? It is that place of I know what God said, but I don't see it yet. It's that place of either either lack or it's that place of need or that place of healing in your family or your relationship or whatever it is, you find yourself between knowing what God said and seeing it come to pass. And it's there in the silent place, in the quiet place, that doubt will work very hard to set up camp in your life, convincing you that whatever Jesus said to you will never happen. Convincing you that you must have at some, in fact, the longer that journey, the more I've discovered, the more I hear that voice that says it'll never happen, it'll never come to pass, you didn't hear God right, anyone ever hear that one before, you didn't hear God right, uh, it can't happen to you, and you, you pick all of these reasons why suddenly once you believe, but now you're at this place where you're wondering, could it, could it really come to pass? Imagine being on the horse like this father riding 16 and a half miles wondering if this is even going to work. And another thing I've discovered in this life is that the greatest distance we have to travel is not geographical. Sometimes the greatest distances we have to travel is between our head and our heart. Sometimes the greatest distance we, we have to travel is between our fear and our faith, between our problem and God's promises. Sometimes the greatest, sometimes the greatest distance I've ever had to travel was between my desire to make something happen and trusting in God's timing to make it happen. But I promise you this there's never been any greater distance in my life personally that I've had to travel than the distance between my pride and what could happen in my life if I swallowed it. And sometimes that is quite a distance. And I'm curious tonight, Mount Perrin North, I'm curious, sir, I'm curious, ma'am, I'm curious, what is the distance that your heavenly Father is inviting you to travel? Is it the distance between fear and faith? Is it the distance between pride and humility? Is Is it the distance between letting go and trusting his timing for what he's promised you, for what you're believing him for in your family, in your marriage, in your ministry, in your career, and your calling. What's the distance he's calling you to travel? What could your life be like if by faith you traveled that distance? What could your joy be like? What could your peace be like? What could your family be like? What could your life be like if you just went ahead and traveled the distance? I mean, the father had to be scared to death. He had to be so scared. to to mount his horse, look back at his son, not knowing would this be the last time? But I have no other choice. I've got to go find this Jesus. What is the distance that fear is convincing you not to travel? What is the distance that fear keeps saying, don't do it? Don't apologize. Don't forgive them. If you forgive them, they might just hurt you again. Sometimes that's a distance, isn't it? the distance between holding the grudge and giving forgiveness. What, what could our lives be like if we just gave God the yes and decided to travel that distance? And the scripture says he made the journey. Of course, when he got there, there was no, there was no social media. There was no Google. There was, <laughs> there was no location services. He literally had to go there on horseback. He had never seen the man before. He didn't know what he looked like. When he got there, he had to search for him and find him. When he finally finds Jesus, he submits his prayer request. He's talking to Jesus. When we do that, we call it prayer. In this moment, he's praying. He's submitting his request to Jesus. He's saying, come down and heal my son. I want to point something out to you. Jesus did not answer his prayer request the way he asked him to. Have you ever had that happen? Don't you wish he would? Like, Lord, I thought you would do it this way, and I thought you would do it this fast. And he has this this tendency to answer the prayer, to make the promise, but it shows up in a way that we did not expect it to happen, because in the man's mind, if I can just get him to come back with me, I'm pretty sure he, if if this guy could turn water into wine, which was the last miracle he did in that region, and the rumors had gotten back to him, if Maybe if he touches my son, my son could be made well. Can you just come back with me? And then Jesus says to him, he says, you know, he said, "Uh, why is it that you won't believe unless you see? I had somebody come to me about two months ago and say, Pastor, you know, I'm I'm struggling a little bit to believe. You know, I, I don't see as many signs and miracles as I see in the Bible. And how can we be expected to believe if we don't see it? And I said, well, listen, I understand. And listen, God's okay with you wrestling with it. God's okay with you wrestling with doubt and trying to figure this out. In fact, I'm I'm just happy you're wrestling with it at all. I think it's great. You're trying to figure this out. I said, but you know, God's original intention was not for you to see and then believe. His intention was for you to believe and then you would see. Do you remember what happened when Jesus was crucified and buried? Thomas, we ended up calling him Doubting Thomas. Thomas said, I won't believe until I see the scars in his hands. I've got to see it to believe it. And Jesus shows up and lovingly shows up and walks up to Thomas and says, Thomas, here I am. Put your finger through the nail marks in my hand. At that point, Thomas must have been been like, man, who told him what I said? Someone could have covered for me. He said, go ahead, put, put your fingers here and put your hand in my side. And when he sees the scars on Jesus, he says, oh, My Lord, my God, I believe. And he said, Thomas, you believe because you see. But blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Because faith is the substance of things that you and I hope for. It's the evidence of things we have not even seen yet. And Jesus is inviting us to watch this simply believe by faith that what he said would happen would happen that his promise is his word, even if you don't see it yet. And so he's always trying to get us to make that journey from having to see, to believe, to believing even if you don't see it. Believing even when it's hard. How many know it's easy to have faith on top of the mountain? Hey, it's easy to have faith when there's money in the bank, come on somebody. It's easy to have faith when you're not arguing husbands and wives. Come on, somebody. It's easy to have faith when the kids are doing good in school and everyone's making good decisions and everyone likes you. And your boss likes you. That's easy. Where the rubber meets the road is when you're in the valley. When there's not enough money and there's not enough opportunity and people don't like you anymore and and your boss isn't sure how he thinks about you and you and your your husband, you and your wife, you're having a little spat at home, Your, your marriage is in a little bit of a valley and you're going through, this is where rubber meets the road because I don't see it and I don't feel it. But just because you don't see it and just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's not true. That is the essence of faith. Faith says, I don't feel victorious, but I know I am victorious. Faith says, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, but I trust in his word that he will bring it to come to pass in his perfect timing. Because your soul should be informed by your spirit. You're born again spirit out of your belly flows rivers of living water. It comes from your spirit, but when our soul informs the spirit is when we start to struggle with doubt and our faith, we wrestle in our faith because we let our feelings call the shots instead of truth. Now listen, feelings are a good thing that we were created with them. There's nothing wrong with having feelings, but how many know feelings are always real, but they're not always right. Can I get an amen? My goodness, they're always real. We need to acknowledge them. They're real, but it doesn't always mean they're true. And so Jesus says to the man, and the man doesn't even, the man doesn't even, I like, I like this guy. I love his heart. He's so committed. He doesn't even respond to Jesus' moment and his point. And he, he, he so wants to see his son get healed. He just says, okay, okay, Jesus, whatever. we Just please, please heal my son. He said, look, just go your way. Your son lives. Now, the exact phrasing of Jesus is important. Pay attention. Because Jesus did not say, go your way, your son will live. This is important. He's trying to teach this man about faith while simultaneously performing the second miracle recorded in the Gospel of John. He says, go your way, your son lives. Not will someday, not will live. He said, your son lives. Everyone say lives. Oh, it's such a beautiful moment. Pastor Travis, what's your point? My point is the miracle happened not the moment the Father saw it, the miracle happened the moment Jesus said it. The Father had no Evidence that it had come to pass. The father had no proof that it had come to pass. All he heard was Jesus say that your son lives now. I want to talk to somebody tonight, and you're between the promise of God and the problem. You're somewhere between what God said was yours and waiting to see it come to pass. And I need to tell you that even though you don't see it, and you have no evidence that there's a change, and you don't see anything moving in your direction, and it doesn't feel like you have the favor of God, it was done the moment Jesus said it was done you can take it to the bank whatever he said is yours is yours whatever he said would be will be you might not see it yet but it's yours if you believe it tonight give him praise yet he says i'm not going to come to your house to perform the miracle instead i'm going to send instead i'm going to send the miracle to your house It'll be waiting for you when you get home. And the father believed him. I mean, the father took him at his word, and he just said, "Oh, uh, okay. He's not coming back with me. I've only got one thing left to do. I've got to get on my horse now, and I've got to head back in the direction of the miracle. I've got to head back in the direction of home. I've got to head back to my son. I've got to get back there. I've got to get back there. You talk about a long journey." between the promise and the evidence. And that can be a long journey. That's where some of us are tonight. We're somewhere between what God said would happen in your marriage, what God said would happen in your family, what God promised you he was going to do in your grandson or your granddaughter's life, your kids. You're standing here between the promise and and the place. And it's usually on this long journey, 16 and a half miles of wandering, no communication with anybody, just you and your thoughts, it's in this place that you wonder, when I get there, will it be what he said it would be, or will I be disappointed? This is usually the place I have discovered in my life that the enemy fights me the hardest. I've never been through hotter fires than between the promise and the fulfillment of a promise. Never. To the point where when God gives a promise or a glimpse of vision for the future or something he's called us to or called us to do or or, or whatever it is that my wife and I have been praying about, here's what I found out, that there's this moment of promise. And and as soon as the promise comes, we, we get excited, man. God said, and we believe God, but there is this journey. Isn't there a journey? There is this journey between that moment and seeing it happen. And that's the place the enemy throws everything in the book at you. Discouragement, fear, worry, doubt, you know. That's usually about the time about halfway back to the journey Tina and I start arguing about something. Come on, don't leave me up here by myself. you don't know what I'm talking about. It's, It's something stupid, you know, that you don't even remember what it was later. It's usually right around here you get really, oh, oh, my goodness. Can I tell you, it's usually right about here you get discouraged. Anybody ever have any bouts with discouragement? Man, discouragement. I mean, you get discouraged and you almost think about going a different direction. But I need to encourage you tonight because, listen to me, all the Father needed to do was stay on the path back to the promise. And that's why the enemy works so hard to get you to quit. Because he knows as long as you stay on the path back to where the promise is waiting, the promise is yours. It's yours. Nobody can take it from you. The enemy can't take it from you. People can't take it from you. So his his strategy is to get you to veer off course. Because he knows the authority of Jesus' words maybe better than anybody. And the minute Jesus said it's done, it was already done. And somebody is here tonight, listen to me. And you're thinking about quitting on something you've been believing God for, and God sent me here tonight to tell you, don't you dare quit. Stay on the road, keep moving towards the promise. Because I found the closer I get to it, the hotter the fire gets. Don't stop now. The whole time is thinking, I've just got to get home. If I can get home, I won't feel this way. If I can get home, I'll know for sure if it worked. If I get home, if I can just get home, if I, can, if I can see for myself. And some of us are there tonight too. Some of us are thinking, well, if I can just cross this finish line. And some of you have created a finish line in your mind. Like, I will finally get the promise of God in my marriage or in my family or in my career if I do this. I'll finally get the promise of God in my finances if I, get, uh, if I get this much debt paid off. I'll finally get the breakthrough in my marriage if we can at least get to this point. Uh, you know what, God, I know you're going to bring that miracle, but first I've got to do this. But I've got to get here. And you've created these finish lines and, and you've got all this anxiousness in your heart because you're wondering how in the world are you going to get there? We've created criteria before we receive this this incredible promise that Jesus has made to you, whatever that is. And and I think this is an interesting point because the scripture tells us that, that the father on his way back ran into a messenger. And the messenger launched out, left the house when he saw that the miracle had happened. And he came and he met the father halfway back and he said, I've got good news for you. Your son is well. He's been healed. Something happened about the seventh hour. And what he didn't know was going to happen, the Father didn't know. Halfway back to the promise, watch this, he had a run in with the grace of God. And somebody here needs to hear this because I believe in Jesus' name. You're about to have a halfway back moment. You think you've got to do this and do that before you can see the promise of God? No, in Jesus' name, I believe just like there was a messenger there tonight, there's another messenger standing here telling you that it's already done. That at the moment jesus said it it was done in your husband and it was done in your wife and it was done in your family and it was done in your future if you believe it tonight shout amen and give him praise he was met by the grace of god he had a run in with god's grace and it said good news watch this you don't have to get all the way there to get what jesus already said is yours Who's ready for a halfway back moment? (laughs) come on somebody some of you have been praying like I am tired how much longer do I have to go in the name of Jesus I just declare I feel genuinely led of the Holy Spirit to declare this I declare this in Jesus' name that you're about to have a halfway back moment that you're about to have an encounter with the miracle working power of Jesus in your house I declare in the name of Jesus that it's going to happen sooner than you thought it's going to hit your house quicker than you thought it's going to take it it's going to take you unsuspectedly you're going to see it coming at you it's going to overcome you before you can get to it I declare it in the name of Jesus in your life wholeness is coming to your house healing is coming to your house salvation is coming to your kids and to your grandkids in the name of Jesus I declare it tonight you're about to have a halfway home moment it was an amazing moment listen to me I I I I know what it's like to be in in dark places. I know. I know what it's like to have a dark night of the soul. I know. I know what it's like to be so doggone discouraged. (laughs) That you, you contemplate in the middle of the night as you lay in your own bed, you contemplate thoughts of just quitting. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to feel like you could never have a full faith tank again. I know what that feels like, but can I tell you something? I also know what it's like for Jesus to meet me halfway home. I know what it's like in those darkest hours when I didn't have an ounce of energy or strength left. I know what it's like when I was so discouraged I became cynical and thought, I'm never going to shake this. In fact, can I tell you something? There's a place in discouragement that you can get so discouraged and cynical that you'd rather stay that way than get well again. I know what that's like. But it's in that place that I tasted the sweetest grace. It's in that place that I found out that Jesus will come to you and find you and meet you in the darkness. Because you know why? Even when I was faithless, he remained faithful. And in those moments I found out it wasn't because of how gifted or talented I was. It wasn't because of how driven I was or you know, how great my plan was, I found out it was because of how good God was. And, and in this moment, when Jesus delivers the miracle, isn't it interesting? He didn't give the Father any tasks to complete. I find that interesting. I find it fascinating. He didn't say, okay, you're gonna get the miracle, Just do A, B, and then C, and it's yours. I find this incredible. He had had no list of things he had to do in order to receive the promise. He had no penance to make. He had nothing to prove to God. Uh, All he had to do was humble himself enough to believe by faith, and he received the promise. Did you hear what I just said? Believe by faith that Jesus was who he said, that he had the authority he claimed to have. And when he believed was done. Hey, Mount Paran North, that's the gospel. The the gospel is simple. Our titles, our sense of goodness, (laughs) our our own sense of accomplishments, none of it it was enough to make us saved. None of it was enough to, to make us righteous. The only thing that made us born again, the only thing that made you and I saved, the only thing that made us new creations was this. You ready? We believed that he was who he said he was and he did what he said he was going to do and he rose again on the third day to give us a brand new life. And when we believed upon believing, we received new life. We sang about it tonight. We received new life. We became alive. That is, that is the gospel. In this moment, in this moment, we see hidden in the story of the true story of this miracle, the gospel. The gospel. If you just believe, if you just believe, it's possible. Isn't it an amazing thing when we just choose to believe? One night in the gospel of John, the religious leaders had, had approached Jesus, and they said, tell us, would you tell us what we need to do to get saved? And he said, uh, sure. And and I don't know how it worked, this is just the way my brain is. I I just imagine the scholars and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they, they get out their scrolls, you know. They get their parchment out and they get their ink pen and their, their, their quill out, and they said, Okay, go. What must we do to be saved? And they start. They get ready. He said, Are you ready? Guys, g- uh, yes, Jesus, we're ready. Give us the notes. We're already good at this stuff. We'll have this down in about three hours. Just give it to us. We'll, we'll figure this out. And Jesus said, Are you sure you're ready? He said, We're ready. They're getting their ink wells ready. He said, Everyone, you ready? Hey, everybody, grab some extra parchment and get some more paper. We might be here for a few hours. The teacher's getting ready to tell us how to be saved. He goes, Okay, are you ready? You ready? We're re- Jesus, we're ready. We're ready. He said, Here it is. The work you must do to be saved is believe in the one the Father sent. Believe in the one the Father sent. Okay, what's next? Is there anything else? Did he say anything else? Somebody has Jesus if he's going to say more. if he's just taking a break. Believe in the one the Father sent. Believe in the one the Father sent. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, Jesus comes to live here. In fact, isn't this great? If Jesus were to give someone his home address, he'd have to give him your name. He came to abide in you and he's living there. That's amazing. You and I are brand new creations in Christ Jesus every day, maturing in our new identity in Christ every day. And he who started that good work, oh, he'll be faithful to complete it. I can't tell you how many times I've been thankful that he never quit on me when I was stubborn, prideful, frustrated. He never walked away. What's the distance the Father's inviting you to travel tonight? Is it the distance of faith? Is it the distance of letting go to letting God? And you might say, but Pastor Travis, how could that be? Seriously, Pastor Travis, how how could that be? How could it be? after the life I had lived, that Jesus could ever forgive me or do a miracle in my life. Can I tell somebody tonight, it is finished. But Pastor Travis, how is that possible? I mean, if you knew about my past, (laughs) you ready for this? The moment you put your faith in Jesus, you are not what you've done, you're what Jesus has done for you. The moment you place your faith in Christ, you're that new creation. Your past is now just a testimony of his faithfulness. You are not what you've done. You're what Christ has done for me, and that means you can stop disqualifying yourself for all of the promises of God. you ready for this? Because the promises of God are yes and amen, not in Travis, not in Sarah, not in Julie, not in John, not in Adam. They're yes and amen in Jesus. And he's living right here. Would you stand to your feet with me tonight? Every head bowed and every eye closed, the worship team is playing something softly, and I'm going to give us a moment, in just a moment, to receive prayer, but I wonder right now tonight if maybe somebody hasn't come, you're tired, you're weary. I don't know why, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's something in your family. I don't know if it's a promise you've been waiting for 10 years for. I don't know if it's a promise you've been waiting 10 days for. I don't know what it is. But I do know what it means to get tired. Before I pray this prayer, I wanna ask the people in the room and maybe those watching online, have you believed? Have you placed your faith in Jesus, believing He died on the cross for your sins, believing He rose again to give you new and abundant life? Have you believed? Because the moment you believe, You become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you're here tonight and you're ready to put your faith in Jesus and you've never made a decision for Christ, would you slip one hand up in the air and just say, Pastor Travis, before I leave, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I don't want to leave without knowing. For sure, I put my faith I want to be that new creation. You're watching online. This is for you. You're scrolling on Facebook. You're on the website. Wherever you're watching right now, you're not here by accident. Your steps were ordered to this moment. Now I'm going to invite everyone to pray this prayer with me, and then I'm going to invite you to come down if you'd like to receive prayer. I want to pray for some tired folks tonight, but, but those that are watching or those that are in the room and you're ready to receive Christ, would everyone just, would everyone just repeat this prayer with me? Would we, can we say this together? Even if you said it before, would you repeat this with me? Everyone say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for all of my sin. I believe you rose again on the third day. To give me abundant life. By faith, I receive your forgiveness, your love, and your life. In Jesus' name, everyone say amen and put your hands together right now for new life. Those that are watching right now at home, listen to me. And those that are in the room, you're a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. God is for you. About halfway through COVID, I was tired. Most of us were. <laughs> I was tired. Finances, finances were horrible. Uh, everyone was trying to figure out how to navigate it. We had additional challenges on top of that. And man, I was in a dark place. I Was always taught to lead, you know, strong, put my best foot forward. And I remember one day walking into a staff meeting. Pastor, I walked in and. I sat down fighting back the tears, just fighting back tears. I remember there was a few days there. All I could do was fight back tears. I was trying not to cry. Everything inside of me wanted to cry. I was exhausted. I was tired. I didn't have the answers. I sat in that staff meeting. We're getting ready to get started. And I looked at my team, and I said to my team, I said, um, I don't feel like leading today. And I got up to leave the room. I was so exhausted and tired and It was so uncharacteristic, and my team stopped and said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, Pastor, this is leading. And they said, please sit down so we can pray for you. And they came around me, and they held my arms, and they prayed over my life. And in that moment, something happened to my heart that was good. Encouragement is a powerful, powerful, powerful tool it's spiritual, it's heavenly, it's divine. In fact, if you study the etymology of the word encourage, it means to wrap courage around someone's heart. In that moment, they were wrapping courage around my heart and they prayed for their tired pastor, their discouraged, weary pastor. And then that moment something could happen. The tears flowed and victory happened in that moment. And I don't, it came out of nowhere. A divine past pastor, it was divine heavenly strength that came here and empowered me to keep running that race. Knowing that we were gonna lose our building, we had to sell it. (laughs) Knowing we were gonna have to be in a portable church for a while. Knowing that it wasn't fair. I was two years into, three years into rebuilding and COVID hit, it wasn't fair. But in that moment, I knew something. It wasn't fair, but God was still good. And I knew something good was going to come out of walking through that fire. Tonight, you might be tired. You might be weary. Maybe you're holding your own tears back. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're thinking about taking another course. Maybe you're thinking about turning to the left or the right. I'm here to tell you, stay on the journey towards the promise, because if you don't quit, you're going to walk right into it. And if you're tired, pastors are coming, prayer partners are coming right now. They're ready. We want to pray for you tonight. The worship team's going to play. Just come down to the front right now, wherever you are. If you would like prayer, we want to pray with you. Because I believe Jesus is able. Come on, just close your eyes, lift your hands. Come on down to the front. You like to receive some prayer tonight?
2: Darkness, my God, that is who you are. We believe that you are a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. You are here, you're touching it. More than just lyrics, we believe it. Even when I don't see it, we sing. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. I'll oh, sing it again. It's more than just lyrics on a screen. One word, he can turn your whole situation around. When you're faithless, he remains faithful. Oh, you never stop working. You never stop working.
3: believe he's worthy give him praise bless your name Lord I don't know about you but I think faith is in this place tonight don't you I was thinking about that uh, just just a, just a minute ago um, Hebrews chapter 11. The author goes through all these people that, that God did these great, amazing things through faith. And then chapter 12 starts and says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything entang- that is entangles and run the race that's marked out for us. So what Tra- Pastor Trav was saying, from this point to the promise, let's run. Amen. Tonight, let's run. We get out of here. Whatever God has laid out for you, run towards it. Run towards it in Jesus' name. Give me the privilege tonight to bless you before we go. And before I do, would you thank Pastor Travis for bringing the word of God to us tonight? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, to be gracious unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give a response from Psalm 19. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh, Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. God bless you. you dismissed. Have a wonderful night.